Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kolzik, joined us ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Uh, Noel, uh, how's it going this week? Do, do you have orange skies? <laughs> No, I'm I'm far enough. I'm pretty far away, so okay. I don't have orange skies. Um, I do have yet another reason not to go outside, however, um, with the smoke from everything drifting upward. Um, even though I did walk like forty minutes round trip to go pick up my laptop from Best Buy today, um, I still like I went early enough that it wasn't particularly bad. But it's not going to be great for a little while. But I'm also still sort of allowed to leave the house, unlike a number of people on the West Coast. Uh, so I do not have Blade Runner skies. But it's still, like, not great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So our thoughts are with everyone, you know, dealing with all of that. Like, I've got a student right now, because everybody's remote for everything, I, I have a student who actually lives in California, and normally... I would be saying you should study with a person that you can meet with in person, right? It's way better for you as a student, but because they just started and no one can do in person anyways, I have a student who lives in California and they they were uh, not feeling well this week. And, um, and I was like, yep. Okay. That's fine. We will, we'll see you next week. Uh, cause they were near fires like, several weeks ago. So that means they are undoubtedly getting hit again, not to mention with like all this, the smoke and, and the soot and everything too. So like, yeah, it is, it's real bad out there. Um, so yeah. Oh God. <sighs> this week on the Televerse, we are going to be talking about some escapist fare, which is high seas or Altamar, which is a show on Netflix. That is a Spanish, uh, language, uh, melodrama soap thriller murder mystery on a transatlantic steamer in the 40s it is absolutely ridiculous and uh something that you that may be very much for you or if you listen to that you go like that seems like it might be a bit much it is you shouldn't watch it (laughs) but a friend of the show keenan caldwell was able to come on to talk with us about it and uh, that's going to be coming at the end of the show uh this week we got um some listener feedback from jason who said just wondering if you ever watch betty and talked about the show on the podcast i just finished and think it's something you'd really enjoy i loved it and it's quick too because it's only about six episodes i think for season one each of the episodes are about a half hour this is a show about like like skateboarding kids skate kids it's um like continuing on from a movie that i don't remember the title to Noel, do you remember no allison told it to us and i don't remember what it is off the top of my head yeah but it's certainly what i'm curious about uh i meant to check it out this week but um i haven't had a chance to watch it yet and i and i felt like i should see the movie first uh not because you need to you don't need to but just because it features some of the same performers and the same director and similar themes and stuff so like and, and the, a bunch of the cast were non-actors before this. So I, I'm assuming that they have gotten to be better actors over the course of the experience. So I should probably start with their freshest, 
you know, work and then work through to their more experienced work. So um, I do plan on checking that out when I next have some time, uh, but I have not yet. But thank you for the recommendation, Jason. Um, we have some news here uh, at the podcast. We're going to start off with uh, a toast to one of my childhood faves. Diana Rigg uh, died this week at the age of 82. And I know for a lot of people, they go to her as Lady Elena in Game of Thrones. A lot of people go to her for the Avengers TV show. I go to her as the host of PBS Mystery. Um, for, also a good choice. You know, just so many years of my childhood. Because, listeners, I had a strict bedtime of 8 o'clock for a long time. Like, all of elementary school. I Probably not middle school, but, you know, definitely all of elementary school. But on Thursdays, we could stay up until 9 because there was mystery. And we would watch it with our parents. And, and, and well, at least I would watch it with my mom. Um, I don't know what everybody else was doing. I don't really remember because I was too busy watching Poro and the, and the other ones as well. Um, so she was the, you know, person who introduced each episode when I was uh, a child. And it was just so elegant and glamorous and smart and charming and fabulous. I, uh, when news of her death uh, broke on Twitter, I was like, oh, we should see if we could do the Avengers on the podcast. That would be so much fun mm-hmm. to like, pick a few episodes. And it is not streaming anywhere. You can buy seasons or episodes on Amazon Prime, but you can- it's just not, you have to rent it or buy it. Um, and that makes me sad because I am all here for some Avengers. Uh, I haven't actually seen hardly any Avengers. Have you seen the Avengers? Oh. I have. Like, I've seen a good chunk of it. Um, I really liked it when I watched it, like, but this was a number of years ago, um, probably like high school, early college, maybe. Um, but it's really good. And that's where I like know her from as well. Um, I also naturally know her from um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which she's pretty good in. Um, she's in the great, she's in one of the Muppet movies, I think Muppet Caper. Um, and her last project is actually a miniseries remake of one of my favorite movies, Black Narcissus, um, which is coming to FX, I believe, at some point, um, which I'm very excited about. I'm very excited to see her in it as well. So, yeah, really, I never saw her in Game of Thrones. I didn't even know she was on Game of Thrones until this <laughs> week. <laughs> oh, she's uh, great. She was absolutely great. I don't doubt it. It's the thing. is like she always had like a really kind of perfectly calibrated for whatever she was in type of style of acting like she just immediately keyed in to the tone of the show or the movie that she was in and just knocked it out of the park even the same thing with like introducing mysteries on pbs just immediately would understand what she was doing and what she was expected to do and what the project was about so i was i was really i was pretty sad to hear about her passing but she was also, like, what, you said she was in her 80s, yeah? Yeah, 82. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, leaves behind a really great body of work with still one more thing, basically, to come out. Um, so, that's also really exciting. So, we'll get one last thing with a uh, rig, which is yeah. great. Yeah. And, uh, listeners, if you, you know, if we've overlooked some some of her other work that is Oh, we definitely have. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that is like, you know, besides Game of Thrones, that is easy to find uh, on the main streaming places. Please reach out and let me know because I would love to watch some more of her stuff. Um, I don't need to rewatch her on Game of Thrones because the, the key moments are already lodged in my brain. She was so fabulous. Didn't um, she do a Who? I thought she did a Doctor Who. 
Oh yeah, she did. She did a Doctor Who episode with her daughter, and it's okay. actually a great, a really fun episode. It's very, it's very arch. But the reason I don't like to revisit it is that it features the Doctor sexually assaulting his companion because it's so funny uh. when you just kiss someone who doesn't want you to kiss them, and then they slap mm. you. That's hilarious. So let's make the Doctor a predator because he feels gotcha. like kissing someone. So because of that, I don't rewatch that. Excellent Victorian set, ridiculous. That's the absolutely one. Okay. ridiculous episode right. that she did. It was so great, and she's of course fabulous, wonderful in it. But you know, good Moffat, man. Anyways, let's move on to our next bit of news, uh, which is that apparently there is another Blackish spinoff in the works, which is <gasps> Oldish. <laughs> <laughs> Which may be happening at ABC with Lawrence Fishburne and Jennifer Lewis. And, you know, if you're going to do another spinoff, hey, right. yeah. let's give Jennifer Lewis money. I'm all for it. And also Lawrence Fishburne, of course. Um, I don't know that I'll watch it, but I'm more likely to watch watch it than I am the other ones. Like, people, I saw some people going like, really, really? But, like, who doesn't want to watch Lawrence Fishburne and Jennifer Lewis in their own comedy? They're arguably, like, one of the strongest things about Blackish um, prior to when we dropped off, um, or yeah. at least I dropped off. Um, and I, I would, I would definitely watch some of this, um, <laughs> because I love both of them a great deal. And their chemistry with one another is so strong and just creates so much good comedy just by them being present together that I feel like provided it's really written well, it could be a really excellent little sitcom. Um, the degree to which we need it, air quotes, is significantly debatable. Um, but I would probably watch a good chunk of this, um, depending on, especially also depending on what the storyline is, mm-hmm. um, and whether or not Junior is in it as well. Because I feel like that that is also sort of the key is that Junior needs to be in this one. That would be very fun. Well, I mean, the other thing is that yes, we may have drifted away from Blackish, but. Grownish has done some really interesting good stuff. We liked Mixedish. Like, yes, do we need a fourth one? No, but the other ones haven't been bad, so why not? You know, there are worse shows that have already been, you know, set up into the pipeline to be created for next fall, and many of them we won't see. If this isn't good, we won't see it. It will probably. <laughs> probably, who knows? But there are plenty of bad shows that make it to air. But given the setup of the characters and these two performers, they can make a lot of stuff work. So, you know, we'll see what happens with it. But, you know, I thought I thought I would mention it. Um, Also in TV renewal and cancellation news, The Walking Dead has announced that season 11 will be the final season for the show. Uh, However, season 11 is going to have 24 episodes and go over two years because that way they don't have to renegotiate their contracts. Um, So they can just call it season 11, even though obviously it's going to be season 11 and season 12. So the show will be ending in 2022. And uh, people are already calling for a Daryl spinoff. Um, uh, Daryl Norman Reedus is too busy being in video games directed by Hideo Kojima. You leave him alone, <laughs> people who want a Walking Dead spinoff. You They've leave him alone. All of the money. They're good. Unless they want to keep doing it. But, like, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm sure people will be very, um, like, following it with bated breath. Um, I don't, I, I am not. It is not for me anymore. I have long since said goodbye and not missed it. The one that I'm starting to wonder, because, um, 
Supernatural had their final day of production because they've been like just like finishing up. They were pr- almost done, and they just had a yes. little bit they needed to keep filming. So they've finished their production as of when we were recording this. So that seeing people tweeting about that, I was like, ah, maybe I should like take you know go back and finish. There's only a few seasons I haven't seen of that show. Granted, they're 22 episode seasons. It's but, a long. It, it would be a long slog for you. <laughs> but I've seen most of the show. I've seen yeah. 10 seasons of the show. So, yeah. like, on the scale of things, like, the little, the little part of my brain that likes completionism, right, is itching about that a little bit. The little part of my, that little part of my brain does not care about The Walking Dead and does, will not feel like I need to watch the rest of that. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, do you have any thoughts on The Walking Dead cancellation? I mean, I don't even know if we're going to live to see 2022, so. Yeah. First things first, just, right? Yeah, the first things first. Um, I mean, it'll be, I... I look forward to 2022 when this is wrapping up and everyone starts rewriting the Game of Thrones monoculture articles, but about The Walking Dead instead, Mm -hmm. Um, to which I will just start tearing my hair out what little of it will be left by 2022 and screaming about how we did this in 2019 Mm -hmm. and no one listened to me then and no one's listening to me now. (laughs) But I mean... It's been a mainstay of like AMC for so long. Um, so I, I'll, it's going to be, it, it is legitimately sort of like the ending of a major part of television, um, especially contemporary television history. Um, but I also just don't feel anything about it because the franchise very quickly spun away from me. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. Oh, how how the years have changed. I used to have a weekly Walking Dead podcast. You did? So, yes. Yeah. Think, I don't miss it. I'm good. <laughs> um, our last bit of news is that along with several of the shows, it was announced this week that Venture Brothers has been canceled after, was it seven seasons seven. and 17 yes. years? Uh, yes. The show is, is Which is, is so done. British. It's so <laughs> British. <laughs> um, it does, uh, you know, it was announced that it had been canceled earlier this summer. So that makes me wonder if the reason they didn't announce when it was canceled is that they tried shopping in other places and then that hasn't taken off, which is why, you know, they didn't announce it at the time. But yeah, Jackson Public uh, tweeted out a confirmation that it has it had indeed been canceled a while ago. And so people are, are sort of uh, lifting their glasses to, to Venture Brothers because what a ridiculous and fantastic and hilarious and, you know, very silly and also surprisingly not at times show yeah. the venture brothers was yeah i mean it's a wild wild show and this is something that we may want to like consider revisiting at some point a little bit um especially like some of those earlier seasons because it was a show that really quickly evolved past its initial premise of we're going to make fun of johnny quest and then they went oh no we actually care about these people like, we care about these characters, so let's give them stories and nuance and build up, like, this world and the mythology around them um, that then we can explore issues of failure really closely and consider what that means. Um, but then also issues of, like, aggressive amounts of toxic masculinity across <laughs> the board. Um, but then the reasons why the reason why the, this in particular I find really sad is that... Season eight was teed up to be really great, I think, in terms of everything that got revealed um, across season seven, which 
season seven's pretty good. Um, but season eight, I think, was poised to be just a way for the show to legitimately end. Um, as we get like confirmation that Rusty and Monarch are related, and that Dean and Hank are poised to just repeat this cycle. Um, and I was just like waiting for it to like really kind of kick into that gear. And I'm very, very sad we're not going to get it. Uh, because I think it would have been beautiful. Um, in the way that Venture Brothers is beautiful. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty upset about this, but at the same time, I'm constantly having to remind myself, is Venture Brothers coming back soon? Wait, what was the most recent season? What happened? Um, like my partner, I even had this conversation prior to the cancellation, like, um, confirmation. Like, I think at the beginning of this week or last weekend, we were discussing whether or not I had watched the most recent season. And I was just like, wait, did it come back? And I didn't know because it could have. It could have is the thing. <laughs> um, because of how that show aired. Again, seven seasons across 17 years. <laughs> um, so I think it's really great. Um, I'm very sad about this cancellation, but it's also a show that is well worth seeking out and watching again because it is very, very good. Um, well, and also if season one is not your thing, yes. you keep watching or skip to season two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because season one is, again, really heavy in we're going to make fun of Johnny Quest. We've got a lot of superhero pop culture type stuff. Um, and then, and it's very much in that adult swim vein of kind of like random jokes. Um, but then season two, they just kind of start shifting gears, um, sometimes really slowly and then sometimes very, very quickly. Um, but that shift, I think, is really, really good. And... Unlike a lot of other sort of like Adult Swim shows, it, especially like the William Street Studios shows, um, the serialization of the show was dense sometimes because of how long they would just let threads dangle. and But then they would tie them up in really beautiful ways. Um, but also, Kate, just like if we need to hook someone in, just animated evil David Bowie? There you go. There you go. What else do you need? I don't think you need anything else. It's so good. It's really fun. Yeah, the reason I mentioned that is because when I first started watching the show, um, I, I think it was like I was, it was I maybe was still in high school and my Probably, brother yeah. um, were in college and they came back for the summer or something and one of them had it on DVD and I had heard people talking about how this is so good, this is so good. And so then I was like, okay, well, I'll sit down and watch it. And I was like, oh, this is... Not interesting. I, Johnny Quest, I get it. And then I did not watch any more of the show. I did like. I think I made it through a disc or maybe two in the in the box set before I was like, yeah, no, this is not getting better. Um, and, and so then I didn't watch more of the show for years, for years and years. And then I eventually did uh, because of the podcast. Actually, I think. Yeah, I, was I like, think you did a make you watch a thon. Make you watch a thon. Yeah, and it was it was just oh, this is actually really really good. It's just like is a different show in season yes. one. Um, so if you're, you know, it, it's the old legends, right? Or, right. or uh, you, Torchwood season one situation. You do have to watch like the last couple episodes of season one. I think if I'm remembering correctly before you start season two, um, because I'm pretty sure you do. But okay. yeah. Google it. And yeah. You, yeah. 
But yeah, you can certainly skip ahead and like sample and then jump to towards the end of the season. Yeah. <sighs> We're going to miss you, Venture Brothers. And also, again, like I've, I've been saying about Cora on the uh, Streaming in Place podcast, uh, the, the Comic-Con content from the Venture oh, Brothers people. Always really good. Yeah. Always good. Like one year I was, I was there and I was hanging out in Indigo Ballroom on the, I think it was Friday or Saturday, the day that's all animation. And I was like, how is there a venture? There's no show this year. Like, and it's not coming back for at least a year. Why was there? And it was just Q and A with the creators and it was hilarious. And there was such great cosplay and the entire crowd was so much fun. Like, yeah, there's, I have a very strong affinity for yeah. The team at Venture Brothers and for the, the, at least the fandom that I experienced at Comic-Con, there's toxic parts of like every fandom, but the fandom I experienced at Comic-Con was really positive and very, um, like just welcoming to all sorts of people, all ages, all genders, all ethnicities and everything in a way that not all fandoms are. Um, so it, yeah, it was, you know, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss Venture Brothers. I'm going to miss Dr. Mrs. The Monarch, one of the best yeah. characters. So good. Yeah. So good. <sighs> okay. Well, this week we actually have a pretty short week in TV for you guys uh, because of, I, I just watched, I watched a lot of reality again, but I, I, I didn't watch any TV again. <laughs> you, you're playing, you had important, important video games to be playing. It's understandable. Yeah, no. um, but also because like I, there are certain other shows that I've been meaning to watch, but they need my full attention. And this week I was not able to give things my full attention. So I watched more Bake Off, right? Like I wasn't, <laughs> I, I still haven't seen the second season of Drug Race Thailand, but it's because I need to read the subtitles and I, I haven't been able to watch something where I read the subtitles for a while. Um, aside from like eight episodes of High Seas because it's our show that we're spotlighting, you know, it's like, it's like yeah. my very enjoyable podcast homework, but I haven't had time for heavier or more weightier, significant uh, topics uh, in a while. So hopefully I'll get back to some actual, like, substantive TV soon. Mm-hmm. Betty, hopefully will help. Um, but, but yeah, so it's, we're going to have a shorter week in TV. But then, as we said earlier, plenty of fun discussion of high seas at the end of the podcast. So let's take a break, listen to a little music, and we'll be right back with our week in TV. This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with the We Bear Bears movie, and Noel's going to catch us up with that, because I still... Listeners, I still haven't seen the show. I keep waiting for Noel to make me do it for Make You Watchathon, and it doesn't happen, and I should just watch it, because it would be great. There's so... There's yeah, like a lot of it. Which I think is why you haven't made me watch it yet, because you're nice. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, so Noel's going to 
take care of us with that one. Then I'm going to talk about The Great Canadian Baking Show, which I've seen all three seasons of now. Um, and then we'll both chat a little bit about Blown Away Season 1, which uh, which is the only season, as I understand it, on Netflix. Yes. Uh, you watched this a while ago, and I just caught up with it. I watched it when it premiered, um, for reasons we'll yeah. get into. And then I'll have just a few spoiler-free thoughts on the Holy Moly to the sequel finale, because Noel has not been able to see it yet. And then we'll round things out with Lovecraft Country, A History of Violence. So first up is We Bear Bears, the movie. And what did you think? It's very good. Um, so I'll give you like a quick premise, listeners. Um, we Bear Bears is about a panda bear, a polar bear, ice bear, and a grizzly bear who all live together in the Bay Area, specifically like around a fictionalized version of San Francisco, and then get into very sh- comedic shenanigans. Um, some episodes focus on the bears when they were baby bears, and the baby bear episodes are adorable and heartbreaking and will break you, but they're very sweet. Um, but the entire show has been really delightfully silly. Um, there's not a lot of eyebrow raising at the fact that there are three talking bears living nearby in San Francisco, but they've always found like lots of fun comedy things to skewer. They're really, a, they do a lot of great work about social media, um, sometimes about celebrities, um, viral videos. Patton Oswalt plays a koala named Nom Nom, who's a viral video diva, um, horrible human being, except he's a koala bear. Um, but it's, it's all very funny and I really enjoy the show. My partner introduced it to me, uh, very early in our relationship. So in that part, it's very special for me in that regard is one of the first shows that she and I watched together. Um, but it's just really sweet. It's very, very funny. Um, and I really encourage everyone to seek it out. I'm pretty sure the entire show's on HBO max right now. Um, so it's definitely worth checking out. It's the standard Cartoon Network, 11 minutes, 11 minutes, and you're out, um, type of deal. So it's really great. Um, the movie is delightful. Um, and I want to set it up by discussing it in the frame of where we are today as, like, the United States. Um, because the final episode aired, which is the series finale, this is the last the movie is the last We Bear Bears things that we're getting. Um, so it serves as like a series finale of sorts. Um, and it really does in terms of like some sort, some kinds of narrative. But the final actual episode of the show deals with them trying to sneak into a hotel to meet an actual Korean boy band, uh, Monsta X, um, and also about the benefits of tipping. That's what the episode is about, is trying to meet this Korean band and why tipping is important. Um, and it's it's a delightful little thing that aired like last year before anything happened. <laughs> and you go, okay, yeah, sure. The entire movie is about immigration. Oh, wow. And assimilation, basically, because the, the city finally gets tired of the bears wrecking it <laughs> through their shenanigans. And... A uh, federal agent from a fictional, fictional, um, fictional department within the feds, voiced by Mark Evan Jackson, <laughs> shows up to capture the bears. Um, and there's a long, there's like, a, it is not subtle at all about, we're, we're really explicitly talking about immigration. We're talking about deporting people out of cities where they've been living for years. 
Um, so much so that even by the end of the movie, we have bears in cages and they're not being subtle about setting it up like cages in terms of the camps that we've set up along the borders, um, the U.S.-Mexican border. So none of this is subtle. All of this is very much pointed at we're going to make a movie that is explicitly about this issue. And because we have bears who have wandered the earth and have settled in San Francisco, we can tell this kind of a story in a way. Um, So I think it generally works really well. It's very silly. There's a whole, we can just go to Canada. They love bears in Canada. Except, Kate, they get to the Canadian border and they're not allowed in because they don't have passports. (laughs) Even though they're bears. Um... So there's there's lots of really good pointed political stuff in here. Um even if the show is not even if the show is pro police um because they needed some sort of authority figure to balance out Mark Evan Jackson's horrible federal agent. Um it's still really silly. It's really good. Um, and I really encourage everyone to watch We Bear Bears from the start and then end it with the movie. Because uh, it's a really good button on the movie, even if there's not enough of the show's excellent supporting cast in it. Um, it's very focused on the brothers. Um, but it's still really good. And it's still really lovely. And it's a really, really good show. And so I encourage everyone to seek it out and watch it. Okay. Oh, wow. That is amazing. What a way to, yeah, if you're going to go out, what a way to go out. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's very pointed. It's very, it's very pointed. It's not subtle at all by the end. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Okay. Um, well, let's move to our, our next episode, <laughs> which is not nearly as pointed uh, because it's the Great Canadian Baking Show. There are three seasons, and again, this just falls so nicely into the, there are ten contest- contestants, so there are eight episodes, so it is very easy to, to watch, and not much of a uh, demand on your attention and your time, but if you are a fan of the Great British Baking Show, or Great British Bake Off, you will, I think, enjoy the Canadian spinoff. They did a good job, I think, translating it, keeping a lot of the energy and um, the the priorities of the original Bake off uh the the talent level is not what i wanted at, for season one there it's like pretty clear right away it's like well you guys are the top four and like maybe there's some one or two that'll like sneak into the top five depending on how things go here but let's just like everybody's very nice and you you enjoy them they're cast for their personalities and everything um and they're you know, so like it's not like they it's not like they don't deserve to be there or something like that, but it's just like they're not contenders. So it's, you know, it takes a while before you really start to see, you know, what can they do when you have equals up against each other. But I did very much enjoy the first season. Second season, there's a real step up from the of the talent level of the bakers, which is a not uncommon thing for these shows. Like there's like people who sign up to do the show um the first season and then there's people who watch the first season go oh okay it's legit i get i'll sign up and do it (laughs) like i'm this this is actually worth my worth my time um i remember feeling like that with um you know several of my favorite reality shows um from back in the day but anyways um the first two seasons are hosted by julia chan and dan levy and uh 
it, it's very, very good. And particularly, of course, I, I'm not as familiar with Chan, but I really enjoy Dan Levy, of course. And I think he's just pitch perfect. Really a lot of fun as a host. And um, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but he does not host season three. And there's also a holiday special, which I haven't seen yet. Um, I assume the, the in season three, the hosts um, are, are uh, Aurora Brown and Carolyn Taylor, who are two comedians from... Um, Baroness Von Sketch Show. They're also, of course, producers and writers over there. Um, but so they they have a good dynamic. But it's just they're much they're much louder. They're much more high energy and, and excited, enthusiastic. Versus um, uh, Julia Chan and and Levy, especially, are more like kind of laid back and more like, okay, I'm going to eat all of this. This is now like. Okay, this looks amazing. This tastes so good. And that as as opposed to like we're excited to be in the tent. Um so it's just it's a very different energy uh, while both being completely appropriate ways to approach this kind of a gig. The host, uh, the, sorry, the, the judges uh, are, are Bruno Feldeisen, um who is a French um, born Canadian chef. Um, and then the first two seasons have Rochelle Adonis and the third season of the holiday special have Kyla Keneally. Uh, I think the Keneally, I think the, um, the, the judges do a good job. The, the, the challenges are pretty, pretty balanced and, and, and they don't seem like they're set up for failure, designed for failure in a way that some of the more recent seasons have been. Um, but they like, if you are a fan of Bake Off and you've seen, You'll, you will have seen several of these challenges before. Like one of the last technicals is a princess cake, right? And you're like, oh, I remember that was like a episode four challenge. That's not a finale challenge kind of a thing. So like if you have a relationship with the show, you can have some fun like reflecting on how th this version connects to the different ones that you've seen. But I had a lot of fun with these and really enjoyed them. I thought the they did a good job making sure that each season when you were down to your final three or even a little bit more than that, they did feel like they were very evenly matched and that the people who were in the finale deserved to be there and really did a good job and um, showed some impressive baking. So yeah, it was, it was really neat. I, I had fun with these and I'm glad that I watched it. Um, our next show is Blown Away, which I watched because I was out of other reality shows to watch. And Netflix is like, do you want to finish watching Blown Away? And I was like, oh yeah, I only watched like two episodes of that. Uh, I had forgotten that each episode is only half an hour. And yeah. listeners, this is a glass blowing competition. And it's again like 10 contestants, eight episodes, something like that. And what's really neat about this is a thing that I mentioned. It's about, 10 episodes. It's 10 episodes. Thank you. A uh, thing that I mentioned about um, the body painting shows that I was watching of Skin Wars is it's really interesting to see creative types be given a prompt that you could interpret in so many different ways and to see how they run with that and create completely different interpretations. And that is even more true in Blown Away. So I, I just ate this up. I was all over it and had a lot of fun with it. There is one moment that really stood out to me, though, because in the, I think it's the second to last episode, um, they have to do things involving... Yeah. Um, like the human body in motion, and one of the glass blowers makes a hand, like like you know when you when you have your two fingers and you like pretend like they're walking, 
um, up like someone's arm. And he was, you know, his story was like thinking about his kid who, when his kid doesn't want to get up in the morning, he like takes his fingers and like walks it up the kid's arm and then like pokes him in the nose or something to wake him up. And it's very endearing and cute. But for whatever reason, he uses a, ended up using it like a darker glass for this, like a dark kind of olive green kind of glass. And the judge's comments were that, why did you use this dark glass? It's so heavy. And I'm like, it's someone's arm. You know that skin can be dark, right? Like, that's a thing that can happen to large percentages of the world's population. It was so strange to me to, he- to hear the the... The person who was designing it, who was doing the, you know, the glass blower, talk about being a little bit worried that he might get dinged for that, and then the both of the judges comment on like, why'd you make this is supposed to be a hand, right? Why'd you make it so dark? It's like, you guys know that you're white, but not everyone is white. Did do you, I don't know if you remember this episode because I know you've seen these episodes, yeah. but it was a while ago. But it was just yeah. so jarring to me. I can't imagine being a person uh, who has darker skin watching this episode and then being like, oh, sorry, I guess just the the mere concept of a dark hand with fingers, you know, playfully, um, in, like, in, engaging with their child is ridiculous. I mean, whew. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. Um, mostly I remember Deborah's weird second wave feminism. <laughs> um, but yes, I do. I vaguely remember that. And I think I had the same reaction of that you're describing to that moment as well. Um, it's very weird, um, but that's also like one of the things is like, it's kind of par for the course for the judging on this show anyway, is that it, because of the very nature of the fact that we're creating art and putting in a competition there's a weird sort of subjectivity to it that this show doesn't necessarily is equipped to grapple with to certain degrees. So there's a large part on like technical merit, which is to a certain degree object objective. But at other times I remember thinking, yeah, but it's supposed to look messy was the point. And then it gets stinged for being messy. So um, it's a, it's a little, it's a little weird, but I do enjoy it. And I think it's, I think it's definitely interesting to watch people blowing glass. Um, and I say this as someone who lives in Tacoma, um, where glass blowing is a major artistic scene here in the Pacific Northwest in Tacoma and Seattle. Um, there's like more than a hundred glass studios in um, Seattle alone. And two of the contestants on this season are from the Seattle Tacoma area. Um, so it, it's just a big part of like the culture up here, the art, art culture anyway. Um, cause we also have all the Chihuly stuff. Um, so it's, there's a lot of really interesting things about watching something that you normally don't get to watch get made and the sheer anxiety around that, which the show I think captures really well of like how kind of scary it is to work with glass. Yeah. It is such a niche kind of thing if you're not familiar with glass blowing it is like yeah it's so cool to watch them work because it's such a specific skill set and like and it's the kind of thing that you need a team for right and they have assistance through much so watching especially as you get to know some of the the blowers better like in the artists better um watching how they interact with their teams and watching just watching 
the process is really neat to me. So I actually ended up, yes, it's very subjective, but I ended up really enjoying um, these, these episodes. Uh, and I'm glad that I watched it. I wish there was more of it. Yeah. Um, I know that they started casting for a second season um, in November, um, but I don't, they probably weren't able to go into production. Oh, so it's, um, so it's, it's more recent. So that's why there isn't. Right. Because this originally aired, um, this, the episodes dropped in February, 2019 on Netflix or like very early in 2019. And I don't think that they started casting or put out a call for casting until late in 2019 Okay, for a second season. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Well, um, did you, I mean, I, I know we talked about this, but it was a while ago. What was your final take? Would you agree with the, the winner? I can't say anything without sport. I, I am, I was not surprised by who ended up being the final two. Uh-huh. Um, and ultimately I was not surprised by who won. Um, I was kind of disappointed by the final two, however. Okay. Um, but not surprised. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, How'd you feel? I liked it. I thought. I thought that. I mean, the the way they set it up, you was pretty clear, pretty early on who was headed, who was going to make it. You know, most of the way, and then it was just a question of execution and if they were, you know, if anybody tripped up. And um, so I, you know, I I think that I ended up liking the the display that won. More mm-hmm. than the other one. The other one seemed too busy to me. But I was just mostly... I watched it in a binge. I watched it pretty quickly. So I was just mostly really impressed um, by just the, the, the craft and the technique of it all. That I wasn't paying enough attention to, like, critically analyzing all of this stuff. I was just kind of going with the flow on it. So, um, yeah. I, I do... You know, if they do have a season two, if they are able to finish casting and go into production, I'll be really curious to, to check it out and... Certainly, I am interested. So we'll see. Um, any final thoughts on, on Blown Away? Any other topics that we should like have a reality competition show about? Any other art forms? There's going to be a pottery one coming to HBO Max next week. Woof. Um, sure, why not? Um, I, I cannot wait for the the shots of people staring at kilns, going, "Don't break! Don't break! Don't break!" <laughs> just very bake off, just like. Dang. Like, don't, don't, yep. don't open it too soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, our next episode is Holy Moly 2, the sequel, a finale of Epic Proportions. So, uh, Noel has not had a chance to see this yet. So I'm going to keep this very brief and very spoiler-free and just say that I thought that the format change was good. There's a new hole, which is interesting. I look forward to your thoughts on it. And the the final... I thought I thought the, the structure and the concept for the, you know, much... Uh, hyped uh, Tomb of Nefertiti was awesome and that worked so much better than it should have um, mm-hmm. ended, up, ended up being really uh, compelling so I look forward to your thoughts and I am delighted to say that there are conspiracy theorists around the holy moly finale and whether it was rigged so I look forward to your thoughts on this I mean it might be rigged um, but who cares? <laughs> it's silly. You'll see. You'll let me know. Okay. Let me know what you think. I'll I'll let you know if I've changed my mind. Yeah, I don't I don't think so personally, but I can see mm-hmm. why people might feel that way. Um, 
But also, at a certain point, the camera doesn't lie. So, yeah, we'll see. Okay. We'll see what you think. Um, our last episode of the week is Lovecraft Country, A History of Violence. And this one I'm sort of uh, conflicted on because I had a lot of fun with a lot of this episode. And then I was utterly baffled by some of the choices at the end of those, of the episode. And it's really, they're really troubling to me. So how did you feel about this episode? This episode's bad. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to like, I mean, it's a really weird episode in which... It clearly wants to be fun and exciting, um, but it just all feels kind of dull. And um, it doesn't feel particularly inventive, um, which I think is the ultimate problem with everything except for the last 10 minutes, which is its own separate issue of bad um, that we can discuss. Um, But before we dig in... I told you those tunnels were really long, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. You did. Though I don't think the neighbors were breaking in to go after this treasure. Uh, no, they were definitely not doing that. <laughs> um, I do think that these tunnels are too long. <laughs> um, but I told you those tunnels were really long. You did. You did indeed. And magical, apparently. Yeah. Um yeah, so where do you want to start with this? Um, do you want to start with them trying to do Indiana Jones and National Treasure and not really making it particularly interesting? Um, see, yes, but I am, like, on board for that ridiculous, uh, like, that ridiculous way to go with it. Because, like, yes, it's over the top, and yes, it doesn't make much sense. But, like, it's so cheesy it's no and sense. fun. I don't, we don't really care. I don't know. Is that my, that's just me? I think it's kind of just you, um, because, like, I don't know. There was just a, I just feel like there wasn't, I feel like there was, like, just, like, little steps missing um, in terms of what was happening, Mm -hmm. sort of. Um, So, like, is, like, was the pendulum there? Was it just kind of weird magic stuff? Or, like, we didn't really get a clear view of that door, for instance. No one did. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet Montrose knows, knows the code because he's, like, read the book, which we saw earlier, and it was very noticeable. Um, but, like, he couldn't see it um, because he was busy scrambling, like, flo- the floor is lava style to get into that room. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just, it was a, it felt like a really weird mishmash of ideas, basically. Um, that I never feel like could came together in a way that I think worked for me. Um, and so that was kind of frustrating, um, because I really wanted to be very keen on this whole concept of doing treasure hunter type stuff, but it just, it felt like such a departure for the rest of the show from much of the rest of the show that I just couldn't firmly get on board. And that really, that was only hampered even more by everything. Once they get into the pirate ship question mark Um, (laughs) and everything that happens with Yahima um, that just soured me on it even more. Yeah. And I don't know if that's by design or not. Yeah. Um, which is the problem. Yeah. Which I think is ultimately like the big problem is that like 
the show doing this sort of adventure style type thing puts our heroes in the position of meeting Yahima and then repeating the same things and engaging the same kind of imperialistic kind of material while not even thinking about it. Um, And it feels really weird to watch that. There have been plenty of people who've been calling out the show for the writing of this last sequence. And uh, I would encourage you to seek out, you know, the voices of indigenous people um, who are, who have been writing about this. And there are plenty of them out there. Uh, The, why, why are they naked? Why do we need to see their naked body when no one else on the show has been objectified like that? It's like they want to make sure that you can see the secondary sex characteristics of this character. It's so it's very important that you see that before you see their face in a meaningful yes. way, um, which doesn't make sense. Um, and then to introduce this character and this complex um and like just this so often overlooked and marginalized part of like adventure stories, right? Especially like Western adventure stories and then kill the character immediately. Like not just, so the character has a voice for one scene and then they get into the elevator and uh, their voice is taken away. And then we get the promise of, Oh, but we're going to figure out a way to, help them reclaim their voice, and instead their throat is slit. And who knows if they survive that? I don't think they will. But, you know, we don't technically know that. And it's just, it's so violent, and it is it plays right into really dangerous and, um, and offensive uh, stereotyping and um, just tropes of how Indigenous characters are treated and like used for a little bit of flavor in the narrative and then let's kill them off before we actually do anything to make them a a person and a character um so when you add you know all of that together it's like why and this is this is not anything that you can blame on the adaptation because it's not in the book at all so woof yeah you don't get points for inclusion of an indigenous character of an intersex character. Uh, also, by the way, two spirit, two spirit. was yeah. um, invented as a term in 1990. So this character should not identify as two spirit and a basic Google should tell you that. Um, that's not a, like, did they, did they talk to any people of the Arawak community before? You know, like, there's so li- when there's so little representation of a community in in media and in, in storytelling, especially when you're, I mean, in any platform that you have, but on a platform like HBO where you've got the money and you've got the 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 you know the cachet that goes with that to to do it right to do this is really upsetting. So yeah, I was really I was really disappointed in the show. Yeah, no, and I think I think we all should be. Like it's aggressively not great. And I don't know that the show is aware in the ways in which that cons all of what they do in the last like 10 minutes there. Um if they're trying to make some sort of statement about the ways in which everyone perpetuates that kind of thing. 
Um, but it doesn't seem like, at least within what we get across 10 minutes, that anyone feels feels anything about it, really. And then on top of the fact that uh, Yahima isn't allowed to speak for themselves, basically, because um, Atticus gets to translate all of it, um, is also deeply, deeply troubling. Um, there's just a lot of stuff in there that is not good. And it just, like, it feels both of a piece of the sort of adventure-ripping, treasure-hunting yarn that they're telling in this episode, but also it does not feel of a piece of this show. Um, that The type of show that it set itself up as. So it's a very weird thing to be in and to watch. Um, even doubly so because this episode also features... Um, what's her name? Um, the... The blonde woman whose name Christina. I cannot remember. Christina. And the implication of her friend being <laughs> herself. Yeah. Um, being driven home real, real, real solidly in this episode in particular. Um, and then setting that up with Yahima. And it's just like, what are we doing right now? What's happening? And the answer being... I don't know, um, because we're also coming up on like the end of what critics have previously seen, because I think they released the first five. Um, so I'm just like, and which we haven't seen, but I'm increasingly trying to figure out what's happening. Um, based on this episode, I'm like legitimately kind of concerned about like things that are going forward, basically. How are you kind of feeling af- after this? Well, it just leaves a really bad taste in the mouth, right? Yeah. Um, the buzz that I have seen says that episode five is one of the best episodes right mm-hmm. after, uh, like after the finale, the, sorry, after the premiere being the strongest. And then episode five is that's the Ruby episode. She's the character um, that gets the spotlight for the next episode. And knowing a bit of what her storyline is in the book, I, uh, you know, I feel like I got a sense of what's coming and I'm sure it'll be really compelling, but I, I just think I expect so much better from these creatives. Yeah than we got mm-hmm. in this episode. Yeah. And I certainly like this episode a lot more than you did because I had fun with the goofy librarian kind of <laughs> part of the episode and you and you didn't. Yeah. I like that we get uh that, that we get like this how did they get back to Chicago without the car? You know, like that's that's a good, you know, that that that's pretty fun. I I thought that um some of the stuff around Montrose's sexuality was well handled. Um mm-hmm. Uh, so, like some of it is, you know, is done, is done well. And just, I, I have an affinity for the, this cast, but, um, so I mean, I'm going to keep watching, but I'm certainly not going into it with, I was like, I was glad to have been warned ahead of time by Twitter, um, of what was coming in this episode. Uh, cause I certainly don't feel like I can watch it with like the confidence of everything will be okay. I'm in good hands. I'm in safe hands. Um, in quite the same way. So, so, you know, we'll see what happens next. Um, I do want to very quickly shout out the best part of the episode. However, okay. That little boy in the library is amazing. He just wants to read his books and there's all these adults not respecting the rules of the library. They're very clear. And it, it's just the buddy just wants to read his books, man. And they're just talking up a storm. And, I feel that little boy real hard. I feel him real hard. <laughs> oh, very, very sweet. Yes, that 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 is certainly delightful. Um, 
it's good. It's good. I like that. Uh, I like that. Uh, Letty is the action star. And yes. uh, even though Jonathan Majors, you know, looks like Jonathan Majors, Tick is not the action star. Uh, so that that was that was delightful. Um, and when they're like, we have two hours until tie, you like, you really should have to get back out, right? Like, yes. you, have to, you have to get out. Um, there was there was a lot to um, for me to and to then enjoy they did that, in that part to their of magical it. elevator. Yeah, <laughs> magical possessed evil love elevator. Um, yeah, but it's just. I, like I already said, I, I just expect better from this team. So we'll see what happens next. Um, what wins your week in TV? Um, I'm going to give it to the We Bear Bears movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually pretty keen on Sarah's episode of The Vow. Um, but We Bear Bears, the movie, was just so delightful in the balm that I needed this week. Uh, so what about you? What won your week in TV this week? Well, like, they're just a... So complete difference, the complete complete opposites. But I did, I was really compelled by the vow as well. The episode this week is at cause, um, and like, thank goodness that Mark Vicente was is a documentarian, right? And was just like, yeah. oh, I've been documenting everything for years, and you absolutely need to document everything from now on, so that we we have footage from when this was actually happening, because um, that it, it's it's so compelling. Um, like when Sarah's turning over the keys um, and just like, there's a lot of, you know, it's just, it's very well handled. Um, and then on the other hand, uh, the Holy Moly finale was super fun in such a I'm different so way. I'm so excited to watch it. Yeah. I don't want to overhype it for you. It's not like it's a, like, you know, trans, like a transformative episode or anything. It's just really ridiculous and fun. So I look forward to your thoughts um, about it in such a different way um yeah so i'll leave it there uh but okay. your show notes you can find a post for this episode over at the televerse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the leaks tv you can like our page on facebook and start up a conversation there you can email us at televerse at gmail.com you can find an m4a chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed up in apple podcasts and we're also up in stitcher we'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place and of course we are both on twitter i am at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk Now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer, and come back to talk about season one of Netflix's High Seas with Keenan Caldwell. We'll be right back after this. Everyone came onto the ship convinced it would be the best voyage of their lives. How wrong they were. Vasquez, chief officer of the Barber de Baganza, the Villanueva sisters, I presume. <laughs> Impressive, so much darkness. You fall in love with it eventually. Oh, my God, the port! Command overboard, on the port side, sir. wasn't alone. There was a fight with someone, don't you see? That woman did not fall into the sea by accident. What's clear is that she was looking for something. There's a murderer on the loose. Free access of this vessel is strictly prohibited. I'll see you soon. Right. There's a lot at stake with this journey. Morning. Mm-hmm.
secrets deeper than the ocean itself. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week on the show, we are talking about High Seas, season one, um, which is available on Netflix. Uh, Altamar is the Spanish title. Uh, but I feel like what we're actually going to call this show is the name that our fabulous guest has been calling it. And I, I, I think it's an excellent name. And what better way to introduce it than to introduce our guest, lingerie blogger and murder mystery aficionado, uh, Keenan Caldwell. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. And tell us about Murder Boat. Oh, I'm so excited. So I found out about Altamar or High Seas or Murder Boat or Danger Boat. Pick your poison. Either works. Um, I found out about Murder Boat through a lingerie buddy who is a designer and she's really into vintage aesthetics and very, very elegant. Up, you know, we talk about all the time about we really want to fall into a pile of money and go on the Orient Express and all the beautiful furnishings and our deco and all these things. So she said, there's this show I've been wanting to watch and it's called High Seas and it's uh a transatlantic steamer crossing murder mystery set in the 1940s. And I was like, that is literally an in-joke on my blog whenever I'm describing a robe that's really good. It's I would wear it on a transatlantic steamer crossing and the detective knocks on my door and I answer the door in my robe and I say, detective, whatever is the matter, that's a good robe. (laughs) And so the standard for how do you determine is it a good robe or not was about to appear on my television. Yes, I was going to watch the show. Um, so we figured out that Netflix party actually does work across Netflixes. So she's on Netflix UK and I'm on Netflix US and it just works perfectly. And we started watching it and it was truly love at first sight. (laughs) A perfect television show, both for me personally and for Plague Times. It's just great. (laughs) Well, for those who don't know, what is Mm -hmm. I Sees about? I Sees, Kate is uh, a Spanish show. It uh, begins in Spain, and our transatlantic steamship is setting sail from Spain to Brazil. Um, We meet a variety of gloriously stock characters. I mean, it is just, it is trope after trope after trope executed flawlessly and exactly the way you want it to. Um, We first meet our heroines. They are a pair of sisters, Eva and Carolina. And they are traveling on this ship and you get um, very, very quick plot downloads about parents and aunts and uncles. And immediately things begin to go terribly wrong for the murder boat. Um, The car that our very wealthy heroines are traveling in appears to hit a young woman in the road and somehow they wind up smuggling her onto the boat with them in a trunk, she's alive, uh, struggling, smuggling them onto the boat with them in a trunk. We meet their um, beautiful kind of family retainers, family servants, um, a mother and daughter who are exquisite. Um, we travel into the bridge and we meet the captain and the camera pans across several of members of the crew that caused my friend and I to type simultaneously into the Netflix party chat, good Lord, who's that? And who's that is, of course, Nicholas, the first officer, who has been personally assigned to take care of our, the cuties we've already met, Eva and Carolina. And you're like, of course you are, sir. What a burdensome job. He is a, <laughs> the most astonishing looking person I've ever seen in my life. I don't know 
1,000% that he's God's gift to acting, but he doesn't need to be. Not with those uh, cheekbones. Not with those cheekbones. He's from the cheekbone factory. He's just, <laughs> mm, great stuff. Um, there are gowns, there are loving interior shots, there's sweeping music. Um, it's very, it's incredibly satisfying to someone who both loves tropes and stock characters, but also loves like prestige um, production values. So we've got sweet, very Downton Abbey-esque sweeping musical score, just luscious pans over the interior. I mean, as things throughout season one continue to go wor just worse and worse for our heroes and just more and more danger and murder. Um, my friend and I would type into the Netflix chat, Yes, but I would still go on the danger boat because look at that cabin. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, so uh, the other thing that's fantastic is right off the bat, before we meet our young heroines traveling in their fancy car, um, we see a, a gnarled, wizened, uh, seafaring hand writing in a captain's log, and we get voiceover, and we learn that we are on day 10 of the voyage and there have already been three murders. And then we flash back to the start of the voyage. So you can spend the whole of season one taking bets on who's going to get murdered and who deserves to get murdered. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, th that is really, like, I was immediately on board with this. Uh, and it, I will say that by the end of the season, it had started to lose me a bit. I, th I feel like it starts way stronger and then it starts to meander, you know, later in the season. But starting with captain's log it's day 10 and already there are three people who have died who've been murdered or you know i was just like and then it jumps back and and we get the like the plunky young heroine who's a who's an authoress and the 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 sister who the beloved sister who is they're like is helping run so the family business before papa tragically died and now they're she's gonna marry the the you know the the head of the business of the company that owns the ship and everything like it is so ridiculous and so fun and so aware of what it is right from the start it is yes. the Downton Abbey th comparison I think is very good but it's not early Downton Abbey it's Downton Abbey when after Downton Abbey stopped pretending that it was something other than what it is um and <laughs> that's like Downton Abbey with all the pretensions stripped away and yeah, highly recommended. Um, if that's your jam, if you're looking for like serious, like contemplative period drama, no, run. No. This is not a show for you. No, no, no. But if you're looking no. for ridiculous and silly and pretty, yes. Noel, how was High Seas for you? I generally enjoyed it. I agree with you, Kate, that it starts off really strong and then it sags a little bit for me in the middle. Um, but then like the last two episodes kind of hook you back in really well mm -hmm. because the show for me operates roughly at like a six and then hits like five and then jumps to like an eight or a nine at, right at the end. And I was just like, you just needed to be a seven the entire time. And I think <laughs> I would have been like locked in all the way. Um, as it stands though, I did really enjoy this. Um, I was also just immediately on board from like, Set design, costuming, and everything's really luscious. Um, but we also get Ivano um, Barquero, who is fantastic. Um, listeners, you will probably know her best as the little girl, Ophelia, from Pan's Labyrinth. She's all grown up. Um, you will not remember her from Shinaro, Shinaro Chronicles on MTV, because nobody does. <laughs> um, I watched that! 
for a yeah, little no, bit. Yeah, no, so did I. <laughs> you know, we talked about it on the podcast, but no. I forgot she was on it. <laughs> yeah, well, I did not connect that that was her, you know, because Pan's Labyrinth is such like a thing in my brain. It's like a very specific space in my brain that I love it so much. And so, yeah. like, I didn't, like, I'm sure I will have seen one or two of these actors before in other things, but like, nope, this is another, like, just high seas spot in my brain, and I'm 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 very much here for it. I ultimately ended up enjoying it. I know that like by the second episode, I immediately went, "Wait, hang on, time out. World War II's over. We're on a cruise liner going to Brazil. Who? Which of these motherfuckers is a Nazi? Which <laughs> one is it?" Um, no, yeah. I, I will just say because it did come up in my friend group. I have another friend was also very enamored of the style of the period and the, wanted to go on the murder boat. And um, because the show is already operating on an ex- extraordinarily soapy plane, I mean, there's a villain who cannot wait to get to Brazil so he can tie someone to a train track and um, extort a young lady for rent. There is, um, you know, uh, someone with a past and there's dead parents and there's uh, dead spouses. And But are they? I mean, there's just stuff after stuff after dramatic rescues all sorts of things so it's she was having a really rollicking fun time i mean carolina the sister who is marrying the um owner of the shipping company she she is a perfectly acted and perfectly written and perfectly portrayed melodrama heroine Mm -hmm. i mean it's that's a very hard thing to do she might be my favorite character and she's a melodrama heroine there's not a tremendous amount of like wit or vivacity or anything there but it's a lovely performance just real played absolutely straight really really lovely um the nazi elements really uh can take people out um yes there are nazi tropes in storytelling i mean indiana jones is beloved for this very reason but um certainly in this current political climate and if you or family members were affected by the atrocities of this time period it's not going to be a fun rollicking time like that, that can take some people out of it and be like, Oh, I wish they hadn't done that. So I do just kind of want to flag that. Well, and also we should definitely, you know, include a trigger warning for people around sexual abuse and violence because there is a completely unnecessary, well, it's pretty much always unnecessary in in fiction, but there's a subplot about the singer on, on the boat who is raped repeatedly by somebody else on the on the ship and there is absolute it's infuriating because there's absolutely no need for it to be there and it it really it's it's so horrible horrifying and violent that it really detracts from the ability to like the escapist fun of everything because it's so real and and traumatic and horrible and i think there are different ways that because there's a place that they're going with that, like, the characters and stuff, like, they really want you to know how terrible this guy is, but there are other ways that you could do that, and there are other ways that you could get characters entangled with each other to lead to other plot points they have that they, you know, decided to go with this route for. Um, so there are people, I'm sure, that are listening for whom that is a deal breaker. Just don't watch. Don't watch. Um, know yourself. Trust your instincts. Um, so I will say that that character does eventually get some comeuppance but um but yeah it was really jarring to me that with the other like the other plot points that they have going on the other like villains that they have 
are all much more heightened and cartoonish. Um, and even that guy, the other ways in which he's a villain are much, so it makes it more escapist and fun. Like the, the Nazis are, you know, like they're cackling movie Nazis. They aren't going on soliloquies about, you know, the Aryan race or whatever. Like, so it would, it, that was very jarring for me. Did that, did you have a similar experience, Noel? Yeah, I mostly had it with like the sexual assault stuff um, in part because I just, you didn't necessarily need it because there was already someone else experiencing that. So layering it in twice, I think, um, felt a little overkillish. Um, yeah, especially given that it just, it came out of nowhere just a little bit and I may have just missed a step in to establish those relationships. Um, but yeah, it, there are other ways to, I mean, you could have just had him kick a dog off the boat. Yeah. It would have been worse. And I mean, it would I mean, have just he's been already beating his wife. I mean, yeah. you don't need more. Yeah. Readers, um, he is one of the characters that we very much kept saying, when is he going to get murdered? Uh, he has to be murder number two or three. Uh, yes. Right. Worse. Yeah. I kept waiting and I was really hoping that he was going to die some other way, but that's fine. Whatever. Spoiler yeah. alert, he does. Um, yeah, we, but... should, we should do like a little bit more chat without spoilers and then I want to dive in with spoilers because it's just too fun. I do agree with Keenan um, that... In relation to um, Carolina, who's played by Alejandra um, uh, Oniva, um, that across the board, I think that this is actually across the board, <laughs> um, is really well acted, um, like top to bottom. I think it's really, really well calibrated. Like the performances are all really, really good. Um, and I don't get to say this a whole lot, but the British English dub yeah. for High Seas is also surprisingly well acted and good um i don't get to say that about live action dubs very often um because most live action dubs are lousy <laughs> um but this one is really really good um the performances match what the actors are doing on screen which doesn't always happen sometimes the voiceover actors for um, live action go bigger than what's being on screen. Um, I'm speaking, thinking really specifically of a bunch of scenes in Dark, uh, the English mm -hmm. dub for Dark, where the English actors are just going way bigger than what the German actors are actually doing. Um, but here, everything actually kind of fits really, really nicely with the physical performances. Um, so I've really appreciated that aspect of it because while I did watch the majority of this in the uh, in Spanish, um, I flipped over to the English dub for, I think, three to... F so ha about half the show, I think. Um, but it was really good, and I was very impressed, because um, I never get to say that. So if this is... If subtitles are a barrier for some reason, um, or you're just reading little words on a screen, just not a thing that you can do because of eyesight or whatever, um, the... Whatchamacallit? The English dub is really, really solid, I think. Well, I just point to the fact that it's not... The English dub. It's the British English dub. British English dub they too, which makes such a big, so good. Oh, it's so great. Uh, so, so you can decide if you want to watch the original Spanish and like you know appreciate that. You know, obviously, the performances uh, of the of the cast, but also like you know like the telenovela connections, right? Or if you want to go full like. You know, murder mystery, Agatha Christie, they're on the mm -hmm. boat, yep. everybody stiff up her lip and everything and just go full British, you know, like it is so 
fun. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, are you... Seriously? They specifically have British English? Well, we're going to check that out a little bit. Um, yeah. Keena, do, do, before we dive into spoilers, do we have any final thoughts on this season? I, I just, again, have to stress how profoundly satisfying a show it was for me. It, it really hit a very sweet spot that I didn't realize I'd been missing. Um, I agree that the, the sexual assault, while not... Um, when I say graphic, I basically mean there's no nudity. It, it, there's, there's, it's not graphic in that way. It is very, very upsetting. And so I, I would go in forewarned. Um, it, it's not gray. Um, the villain who, who commits the atrocity is the most villainous villain, whoever villained. Um, so yeah, that's, it, it's just one thing to look out for in, in both. I've only seen up through season two. I've not seen um, season three yet, but um yeah, it's it's a bummer. But otherwise, it's an incredibly satisfying show. Um, if you, you know, any murder mystery set before the 1950s has one of these characters in it, um, including a detective who is an affront and a disgrace to detectives everywhere. And I would like to throw him off the murder boat. Yes. Just appalled. What way to let down the side. Um, but that's okay because our girl Eva can put on her incredibly awesome detecting pants. She has the best detecting <laughs> pants. pants. So good. And she and handsome Nicholas can go detecting together with their incredibly disparate heights, making for <laughs> beautiful romance novel moments. It is just, it's so dope. I can't even handle it. I love the show. Okay. I want to go on the murder boat. Yeah. Noel, any final spoiler-free thoughts? No, I think that uh, everything Keenan said, I think, is really accurate. So I, I'll co-sign everything. Um, this is really solid, um, slightly more violent, cozy mystery type stuff. So it's like maybe a little couple levels above like standard Agatha Christie type stuff mm -hmm. um, in terms of violence and whatnot. Um, but it's it's very much within that realm. So it's a good way to spend a weekend. And there's only eight episodes per season. Um, which is really nice as well. Um, yeah. Even if I think the first season has like pacing issues a little bit, it's solid, I think, across the board. Okay, so we're going to go into spoilers now, everyone. You've been warned. Uh, so if you don't want to know what happens on the, the, the Danger Boat, the Murder Boat, High Seas Altamar, uh, season one, you have now had enough time to stop your podcatching devices, and we're going to talk about the Nazi gold. So, uh, <laughs> wait, before we even get to that, can I just can I just say that I called that masked, disfigured guy working in the boiler room was very obviously their dad from the jump. See, I did not like. I didn't <laughs> even think about it, so I was I like, was just like, they're mentioning he's dead too much for him to actually be dead. <laughs> I definitely thought Dead Dad was going to come back at some point. I didn't clock Masked Guy as Dead Dad right away. I think because, like, in um, Golden Age of Murder, there's some kind of stock, like, working man figure with a past who's going to come. Yeah. So I figured he had something to do with the shipping company or something from the captain's past or something like that. Um, but, yes, when the, when the Nazi gold suitcase came out... <laughs> I think I think I had to pause and like take a breather. Well, it's because there's like no reason. It's like and now gold. Like <laughs> it's so much gold too. Like it's an, it's a large amount of gold. How did Francisca <laughs> carry that? 
yes, they always have the beautiful young ladies or Veronica, this like slip of a girl hauling this suitcase of Nazi gold around. And I'm like, not a one of them can lift that thing. Not a single one. Not oh, even Nicholas can pick up that bag of gold. <laughs> My beloved Nicolas would also need help. Like this is pre-wheels on luggage, right? This is not, <laughs> you know, they're not going through airport security with this. Um, yeah, the, the, so, okay, so there's a bunch of things I want to talk about. I think one of the, actually the bigger missteps for me with this is that they never brought me around on Fernando, which I think is a problem. I needed to, at some point, like him. And I don't know if that's the performance or if that's the writing. I kept being like, him is very it was very uh um and uh right from from it's yeah. very bland from arrested development um, i was like carolina you can definitely do better than this guy why do you say you love him you have no chemistry you have more chemistry with ava's person or eva in the english uh, british english it's it's eva for some reason i don't know why it's very strange but um was i the only one wanting any chemistry there you are not the only one. Um, my sister has very strong feelings about Fernando in how much she thinks he is bad news. I think Fernando, I actually am kind of interested to see if for some reason the show decides we're going to play a long game with plot and character development uh -huh. and let Fernando really blossom at some point in season three. But I do think both Fernando and Varela, who is the detective who I just am so insulted and affronted by, mm -hmm. um, uh, and the villain, Anibal, and um, Fernando's sister, Natalia, who is, you know, clearly the femme fatale of the piece. And um, I do think so you much. look at them and you're like, you are physically perfectly cast for this. In the same way Carolina with her golden curls is. Fernando looks like a man who is slightly past his prime, drinks too much. And as soon as I saw him, he looks like a wet t-shirt that's been rolled up and put away wet. He's all wrinkly with baggy eyes. And I was like, sir, you have money problems. <laughs> you're wearing a tuxedo and you're running this ship. And I know there's money shenanigans going on. You look like you haven't had a good night's sleep in months. And we come to find out that our pal Fernando is not necessarily on the up and up. So I'm willing to forgive him that just because of how perfectly his face communicates his character. I still just wanted better for Carolina. Of course. Of course. My queen Carolina deserves the world. And so I'm curious to see what happens with that. Um, I want no one to harm her ever. Maybe he'll get killed off in some interesting and heroic way. And then she can <laughs> inherit the company and then and run it way better than he was going to. Because obviously she helped run the, the shoe company before they got all Nazi-ish. And then, uh, then she can meet some dashing new character. The show got canceled before... They've, oh, it did. Okay. Yeah, cool. the show got canceled uh, last month in August. Um, so season three. Oh, no. oh no! I'm so sorry. Yeah, they canceled. I it, knew like, there was season three. I thought there would be more forever. No, they they canceled it um, in August um, before, and they had already like started planning season four apparently, but they um, Netflix asked it, um, Netflix, so there was no you season got four. Stop this! Mm. Ugh, they I'm keep so killing sorry, the Listen, Noel, if, if I could have found out anyway, I'm glad at least that I found out here with friends. In a safe space, yeah. <laughs> In a safe place. <laughs> oh, no, I was so looking forward to more murder boats. So now I'll, I'll pace out season three and make it last. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. 
after our issues with the uh, Legend of Korra season one love triangle, I feel like we need to talk about our love triangle we have going on in season one here uh, with with uh, Veronica. Um, and how, how do we how do we feel about her suitors and the various developments in in season one? I've really enjoyed this weird little subplot of this little <laughs> pocket of the show that is tangentially related to everything else because of Veronica, but for the most part just exists in its own realm of like being. Um, so I was actually always glad when we cut away to uh, Sebastian and Dimas um, because it was it was a relief. It was a breather away from all of the uh, Villanueva uh, shenanigans that we were getting across everything else. Um, and also, like, it goes back to everything else that Keenan was saying, is that everyone is cast so really well, because you look at Dimas and you just go, yeah, that guy doesn't have any money, despite <laughs> being, like, rich. He has no money. Um, but then also... Oh, you, Sebastian. You look at Sebastian. Yes, yeah. Sebastian. Yeah. And Demos is like that noble servant who also is much smarter than his station and has this great idea for turning sugar into fuel. And it's like, oh. um, so everything like at the end there uh, where um, Sebastian is like trying to pass this whole thing off as his own idea to an investor is just chef's kiss golden perfect. And I love all of it. Um, I just find the love triangle a little like kind of meh um, because just from an arc perspective of like, you know how this is going to play out for a little while anyway, with Veronica always attaching herself to the guy she perceives as being an advancement um, Mm -hmm. approach in Sebastian. Um, Even though he's just such a tryhard. I loved his whole like date on the bridge um, Mm -hmm. with the violinist and him just constant. Could actually play violin. I, I was going to ask, that was going to be my, my follow-up question, was whether or not he was actually playing the violin. And him just constantly yelling at the violinist of calling him various violinist names. Yeah. Valdi! Stratosveris! Just stop! She's not here! Are you blind? <laughs> it's just all very, very good. And provided, like I said, a lot of relief. So I actively really enjoyed that pocket of the show. Um, Keenan, how did you feel about it? I also really enjoyed it. And I, I liked a lot, um, I think because some of the other characters were so quick and easily pegged as this is a character of virtue and this is a character of deceit and, and cover-ups and something, or, you know, like it was very divided world. Um, I kind of enjoyed that, like, Sebastian is clearly a scoundrel, but he's not menacing and he's not right. outright villainous. Yeah. He's definitely doing some bad behavior stuff. And I also kind of enjoyed that, like, Veronica and Dimas were kind of dicking him around. And <laughs> Veronica is definitely kind of stringing them both along. And so I was kind of in, enjoying it very much. I mean, Dimas is a cutie, an absolute cutie. Would Scotty, my sister, keep saying how much, you know, we're, oh, the murder boat is so beautiful, the first class cabin, to that and the other thing. And Scotty keeps kind of saying, I don't know, the, the third class bar looks like, an incredibly fun place it looks like the best place on the boat (laughs) (laughs) let's go party in the bar canteen thing um in third class um so definitely would have a beer with that little cutie pie dimas scotty also pointed out that again beautiful stock characters that whole love triangle is like straight up marriage of figaro stuff like the the wise and noble servant the the maid who's jumping back and forth between the two worlds and you know trying to all the different men so um 
for once, I kind of appreciated uh, one of the joys of the show is the twist, plot, twist, plot, vroom, 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 like just careening all over the place. And someone's evil one episode and redeemed by the next episode. And it just moves so quickly. But one of the things I kind of like about that love triangle is that it is definitely not resolved by the end of season one. Um, it carries well on into season two. So that's something kind of fun to look forward to. We, we are definitely still in the throes of this relationship dynamic. I, I also appreciate that they both clearly like her. They genuinely really like her. And and it could be very easy. Usually when you have this kind of a dynamic, the, the rich guy doesn't actually care about her as a person at all. And you get the sense, like, yeah, he's still pulling out those lines with everybody. He's still trying to, like, put other irons, you know, in the fire and everything. But he he actually genuinely likes Veronica and would prefer to be spending his time with her, at least while they're on the boat. After the boat, who knows? But, like, that that was a nice little twist on that. It, it, I was pleasantly surprised by that, just like I was pleasantly surprised when we have our, um, uh, Ava is uh, holding the, the new captain, her love interest, uh, hostage with a gun, that he, like, immediately was like, okay, well, clearly you're doing this for a reason. I don't think, like, they didn't play, like, Oh, I how how could you betray me? Else, it was like, well, whatever you're doing, you shouldn't do it. You should just tell me what's going on. But clearly, you don't think you can do that. So I'm just gonna go with you and help you. And then, as soon as I can, get out of this and fix the problem. Right? I really appreciated that they didn't uh, the, like that level of trust. They didn't th- throw away the, the dynamic they'd established with those two. Also, 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 the moment that I knew that I loved the show so much and it was made for me in a lab. Uh-huh. was the fire <laughs> yep yep and he carried her out of the fire in his arms and her yellow silk gorgeous gorgeous gown that she had somehow put on in the flame-filled bathroom was totally unsmudged the one place where everyone who's watched the show with me and I agree is that they slipped up just the teensiest little bit in their tropes mm-hmm. yes he carried her out of the flames yes of course they're both spotless they needed their beauty smudges. Yeah. You know, like she needed one little smudge on the cheekbone and he needed like maybe a slight cut over one of his cheekbones because they're all the cheekbone defining, you know, yeah, a little slash. It's the only place where they went wrong with the fire. Otherwise, chef kiss, gorgeous, wrap, perfect. Don't change a thing. (laughs) Loved it. Um, But yeah, the other thing that is just a delight to remind your viewing companions with as you progress from episode to episode is we have not even gotten to day 10 of the voyage and we already have love triangles and Nazi gold and fires and true love and my word, y'all. And apocalyptic uh, storms, and <laughs> yeah. and the, the storm episode is very good though. The doom on the horizon, and the refugees, including some spoiler alert for season two, Cassandra, the the potentially psychic person on the boat, who I'm assuming no one's going to believe that they actually named Cassandra. I mean, they did. We, they they gave her yeah. that name. They yeah. they did it on purpose. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. That it is that show. Uh, do we have any any final thoughts? I feel like we I, we need to mention the actual captain who I so very much enjoy. Also, uh, when I eventually get around to watching more of this, I can't wait for Hottie Captain's uh, wife to show up. Who is, is she on the boat? I figured she's going to be on the boat. I don't know. She's definitely got to show up. I will go ahead and do a season two spoiler because Allison and Scotty were also we. Her name is Resistance Wife. If anyone yeah. you know, mur- right. Resistance yeah. Wife on the murder boat. Yeah. Um, resistance wife is not on the lifeboat. 
Okay. So yeah. she'll have to show up at some point somehow. At some, some other point, way. resistance wife. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's the only thing that makes any sense. Really quickly, I would like to do a rundown of my favorite outfits. If mm-hmm. you, if I may be so bold. Yeah. Um, Eva's first dinner gown that she wears with the red gloves and the red ball gown and like the red rose in her hair. Perfection. Um, all of her detecting pants. Again, excellent for a novelist slash budding amateur detective. Um, great detecting pants. Um, everything Carolina wears. She is my beautiful queen and I would never betray her except her wedding dress is a huge bummer, which I think is interesting considering what we've said about our buddy Fernando. And I know as a plot device, the dress was cobbled together from things that women on the ship contributed because it was burned in the fire, sort of. Um, It is very period appropriate, I will say. And I'll also say that the makeup is really exceptional. There's, we have a lot of really interesting um, things that happen in contemporary art projects that are made that are set in the 40s and 50s because there's such a strong retro revival um, culture in in various communities where retro revival girls wearing the you know victory rolls and red lipstick. I'm wearing my red lipstick today for Danger Boat. Um, mm-hmm. What happens sometimes is that when people go back to do makeup design for period shows is they accidentally bring the contemporary makeup back with them. So really heavy black liquid eyeliner with cat eye flicks and contouring and things like that. The makeup and hair design is really beautiful, really, really well done. Costumes are great across the board. And Carolina's wedding dress is really good because it doesn't look very pretty by our modern standards, but 1950s wedding dresses were not terribly cute. Um, And this one in particular, for some reason to me, feels European as opposed to American. So while it bummed me out because she's my queen and she deserves, again, the world, um, I thought it was really, really period appropriate. So that's Costumes with Keenan. Very nice. Very nice. Noel, do you have any final thoughts on High Seas? Um, I think this, this is very entertaining. Um, and I think that the one other thing I want to mention is the beauty of Ava giving blood to Nicholas. <laughs> universal yes, I forgot about that. To save his life after being shot. And he immediately wakes up and goes, oh, you gave me the blood. That must mean we're compatible. And she doesn't mention the fact that she's a universal donor, to which just makes that whole comment kind of icky. (laughs) Um, But the show wanted us to know that she was a universal donor so that it was perfectly okay for her to give blood. But it's so deeply romantic and nice and sweet, and I just love it very much. (laughs) Um, So that I don't mind. But I also want to really quickly mention that the guy who plays Nicholas dated Luke Evans for a while, and I just cannot get that out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, hold on. Two things. First of all, totally forgot about the giving blood. It was perfect. It was amazing. Actually, three things I forgot to say. As a lingerie blogger, the lingerie across the board in the show is exceptional. The Everything's period appropriate. The flips, bras, everything perfect. He dated what now? He dated Luke Evans for a while. <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. What a great show. What a gift to us all. Why did Netflix get... Listen, Netflix should have talked to me first as America's number one fan of high seas, and then we would have figured this out. We would have made it work. Do you have any final thoughts, Keenan, besides, you know, watch it before it's gone? 
Um, no, it's just, it, it has been a bomb. Um, I think the, when my, my friend who's in the UK and I sat down to watch it on a weekend and we started kind of early afternoon, my time, cause I knew it was going to get late over her time. We watched the entire first half of the season and we probably stopped around five or six my time because she truly had other things to do with her life, like go to bed. I was so wired from sheer joy and happiness and what's going to happen next that I could not fall asleep until like three o'clock in the morning. Uh, <laughs> the danger boat is just such a good time. So highly recommend uh, Netflix. We need to talk disgraceful. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Keenan, for, for introducing us to the show and for coming on to talk with us about it. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at SweetNothingNYC. You can find my blog, which needs some updating, but there was a pandemic, at SweetNothingsNYC.com. And um, I do use a fake name online. So if you leave me a comment or you write me a message, please use the nickname Sweets instead of my real name. Okay. Good to know. Thank you so much, Keenan. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 